All right. <laughs> it's time to rock. <laughs> oh, my God, it's December, isn't it? You've got this yeah. manic look in your eye. Uh, it's just, you know, you get to this time of year and it's like, wow, I've actually, you got the list of stuff that you have to do. You look at the available dates and time and yeah. go, I don't actually see how yeah. I'm going to be able to get all I woke up this morning with just like the, the greatest sort of start of panic because I was just like, <gasps> because obviously I was meeting you and I always feel nervous about that. But um, <laughs> I've got like a really long meeting this afternoon and then I've got to go straight to a um charity fundraising like formal dinner thing for the Australian Chamber Orchestra that I agreed ages ago to host and it's just going to involve this I've got to get dressed up in my stupid clothes before I go to this meeting so I'll be the idiot at the meeting in glad rags and then I've got to like belt across town in probably crazy Sydney weather anyway I know this is the first world problem but it's just like logistics and I was just just keeping it together this morning when at about like 20 minutes to go to school time, it's discovered that all three children are required to wear purple for Diabetes Day. (sighs) Just like I would be prepared to commence a campaign for wear anything day for people who don't have purple clothing that fits all of their three children. Like, yeah. would you support me on that one? I know. Well, that well, like that pay I... double for not having to do anything. Is I'd be it, happy with that one as well. Is it Multicultural Day? It's the Harmony. Orange. Harmony. Harmony Day. The Orange. Yes, famously who, who owns the orange least clothes? harmonious day in our ho- household of the year. Like, I was like, by the end, I'm just like, <laughs> make war. Why can't somebody just go like, okay, it's a blue shirt? Because everyone's got a blue shirt. But yeah, who's well, my got kids' an school uniforms shirt? are blue, so that would work for me. Perfect. Who's got? Yeah, that's right. I like mine to be yellow. Like it's orange. yellow shirts for everyone. Who has orange? Like, who buys an orange? You don't. Shirt for their kid. Oh, come on. I know. Jeez. And then – Who decides also about these days? Who decrees that we're having these sadists. days with – School administrative sadists. <laughs> the thing is that kids really love it, you know. Oh, like they, they do, do, yeah. I just – They I might think, are so into it. Yeah. Um, God. Hey, can I tell you something funny that happened to me this week? Yes, you can. Um, Previously on Chat 10 Looks 3, people might recall that, that there was a television show called The Newsroom in yeah. which Jeff Daniels was an yeah. anchor and there was yeah. a woman who was the EP. Oh, yeah, she's great. What was her name? She's super flaky. Super flaky, but but like a massively accomplished, you know, foreign yeah. correspondent. She's the EP of this, you know, highly prestigious American network news show, yeah. but she's like constantly slipping on banana peels and yeah. walking into walls. And, and so this was my complaint that this is nonsense because highly competent women don't walk around group emailing the whole organisation and so forth. I sense something hideously embarrassing is about to happen to possibly the narrator of this current tale. So this week, I don't know how this happened and I still maintain that I was hacked. Oh my God. I group emailed the whole ABC. No one believes you. (laughs) (laughs) I group emailed the entire ABC when I was attempting to put the date for next year's federal budget into my diary. What what exactly did you group email? What the whole ABC? Yes, like people in you know Kalgoorlie got an email from me. (laughs) The hilarious thing was a lot of people hit accept when I sent them like you know this put this date come to the budget with me, Lee Sales. So, what are you putting on some canapes or something? The body of the email included an old email that the former managing director Michelle Guthrie had sent at some point about okay. ABC budget woes. Okay. Now, I, I had never, to my best of my knowledge, kept that email or you know anything to do with it. So. What's happened is I've thought that I've just entered in my diary, 2nd of April 2019, federal budget. So then I get a phone call from my executive producer, Justin, to go, 
have you been hacked? You've just group emailed the entire ABC and it's a, it's a Michelle Guthrie missive. And so I've said, I've definitely been hacked because I haven't, I have not done that. <laughs> so then I was going into a, a lunch meeting with somebody and I had to keep going, look, I'm sorry, you're going to have to excuse me. I've got to take this call. So they've called IT. I've said call IT urgently. So Drop uh, everything. Drop everything. <laughs> so there's like five people at 7.30 like sort of, you know, on the case. IT's gotten involved. Quick, Salzy, give us your password, your username and stuff. So I've handed it all over. Um, and then <laughs> about half an hour, Justin rings uh, – half an hour later, Justin rings me and goes, look um, – Around 11.30 this morning, did you try to enter something into your Outlook diary? <laughs> I said, oh, let me think. Yeah, yep, that was when they announced the federal budget. I put you know, put it in the diary for the 2nd of April. He's like, well, you didn't actually. You group emailed the entire ABC. Anyway, I kept going, oh, there's no way I could have done could it. Could you actually do that again if you were trying to, though? No, and I, I don't know what I've done. Like, You're an idiot. It was just That's brilliant, though. Yeah, but so now I apparently am one of those extremely competent, you know, but yet klutzy imbeciles who group emails their entire <laughs> What would have been workplace. funny if you'd group e- would have been if you'd group emailed the ABC with Judith Sloan's salary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well. Honestly. That was so funny. I mean, one never likes to take delight in the um, misfortunes of other news organisations, but um, the news that at uh, News Corp they had uh, accidentally had an email misfire where they (laughs) circulated the details of various redundancy payments and salary details uh, to a bunch of employees did make me laugh quite a bit. Also, now that we know that Judith Sloan is paid $357,000 a year to write one column a week, I reckon the next round of ABC fat cat bashing should be pretty interesting in the old Yeah, I think it it should (laughs) sort of pull the rug out from under the ABC fat cat bashing. Yeah, Yeah, I think so. Um, now, I have been reading a book that I've been meaning to read for years and I finally got around to it. It's called On Writing by Stephen it's King. Is this the Stephen King one? Stephen King. Hang on a minute. This can't be – I have been thinking recently, though mainly to myself, about uh, reading that. What, have we talked? No. Is it, is, it, is it new or something? No, it's I really old. I read a book recently where the author said, oh, I got so much out of this book. It was so helpful. And I thought, oh, I must read that. Well, I – have been meaning to read it for years because I've come across in various things people saying this is, you know, the best book on writing right. that's ever been. Is it written. a sort of a wine, how can I find a proper pencil kind it, of one or is it a no, sensible it's, advice? It sort of is. So I should preface it by saying I'm not a Stephen King fan. Mm-hmm. I don't – I hate horror as a genre. I'm a sook. Well, you've so, made that very clear. Yeah, Thank you. I'm, yeah. Not, I'm just – I can't do it. Have you ever read a Stephen King novel? Yeah, I've read The Stand because um, lots of people have said, oh, well, if you you just read one Stephen King, read The Stand because it's a masterclass in. uh, It's where um, a plague has wiped out gigantic swathes of the American population. That does sound cheery. (laughs) Some people have survived and, you know, it's that kind of a thing. Um, You know, it was good. It's suspenseful and all that kind of stuff. And I'm a gigantic fan of the film version of Misery and I love the whole. Of course you are. God, you've bored me to tears about that. It's awesome. And so I'm sure the novel. All of that's fantastic as well, um, but yeah, I'm just I'm too scared to read things like Carrie or Salem's Lot or any of that stuff. Right. Nonetheless, I do um, I don't like literary snobbery, and I do think that Stephen King, from you know reading The Stand and just other bits and pieces of stuff I've read, I think he is a good writer. Anyway, the book on writing it's basically a memoir of 
being a writer and what it's like and things that happened in his life on his, God, I hate the word journey, but I'm going to use it, journey to becoming a best-selling author. So he talks about when he was at school and the type of creative writing he did and then being on the school newspaper and then when he was a struggling. Was his school newspaper thing just like hideous, like horror stories? (laughs) He's clearly always been gigantically into horror and sci-fi and, you know, all that sort of gear. Um and so it sort of follows this and it, it talks about the, you know, squillion rejections that he's got and how that impacted him. And, and he just talks a lot about how much That's he good loves. To know. Yeah, how much he loves writing. And, um, and there's a really moving bit actually where he's written um, Carrie yeah. and they sell it for, you know, a sort of a pretty good amount of money he's really happy. But then mm. I think they're looking to sell the paperback rights or a sort of extension mm. of what's the initial deal. And he and his wife, who are just on the bones of their bum, yeah. um, they think, oh, well, if we got like, imagine if we got like, you know, $40,000, that'd be amazing. That'd be like more than they'd earned in the past three years. Yeah. Anyway, the agent rings and says to Stephen King, you know, are you sitting down? We've sold it, you know, for a million or whatever it is, some huge thing. Yeah. And he describes really beautifully how he looks around their crummy apartment and he's just looking at where they live and thinking It's all gonna change. Yeah. And then when his wife gets home and he tells her, he sees she looks away from his face and she looks around the apartment and he can see that she's Oh wow. Yeah, it was beautifully written. It was I nearly teared up reading it. Um and then he, then he sort of talks – so once he's gotten to the position of then when he's a sort of successful writer, the second half of the book is a bit more of a <clears throat> how-to and it includes things like he puts a story in and then he puts in the revisions, you know, right. how he's trimmed oh, yeah. it down and stuff. Yeah. Um, and so – for people like us that do write professionally, there's lots of stuff that we would know, like, for example, that, you know, you do revise, it doesn't come out yeah. perfectly, um, use the active voice, trim out unnecessary words, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, but it's just, it's, it was so weird. At the end of the book, I felt like, geez, I enjoyed that man's company. And it yeah, wasn't, right, I don't often have that feeling. From, You've never interviewed him, have you? No, but he just, he was so... It was just really enjoyable to be in his company. Um, And also, God, he just loves his wife so much. Like he just talked about her all the time. She was just peppered through it so constantly. So he was quite an endearing You wouldn't want to put her in your actual books, would you? Because then she'd end up being a hideous monster or something. (laughs) She (laughs) said he's his first reader. But, hey, it gave me a question that I wanted to ask you about. Mm. So he talked about – you know, economy of words, always don't use three words when one word would do. But I notice in your writing that you very effectively, you can obviously, you know, write like that, but then sometimes you will embellish and use additional words for like comic effects. So you might say, you know, the maternal parent instead of the mother or something like that. So how do you know when to do that? And are you conscious that you're doing it? And because you're clearly breaking a, a golden rule. Yeah. Um, I, I don't really know. And there isn't really a rule. I don't think it's sort of about an, it's sort of an ear thing. I think sometimes I just feel like, you know, when you're telling a story and you're watching the person that you're telling the story to and you think, okay, I know that this punchline is coming up or there's a reveal or a turn in the story here and you feel like I'm just going to keep it going for a little minute more to extend this anticipation or whatever. Like I feel like writing should pace itself in the same way and if you're mm. if you're writing to deliver some sort of insight or a, or a comedy payoff, then the timing of that is quite important. Mm. There was this great um, – <laughs> did you ever? I mean, sometimes the um, the 
there's a couple online um, angry letters to editors that Giles Corrin has written. They're like, oh, my God. <laughs> no, but that there's sounds some, great. Oh, there's one where, like, they just changed one word in the final paragraph and um, and it was uh, it was some um, restaurant review where he says that some place is a good place to go for a bit of a nosh and they've changed it to a bit of nosh and he just <laughs> goes absolutely berserk at this subedit oh. <laughs> just like and he's got this incredibly detailed rant about why that is just committing murder <laughs> for like the way that the paragraph scans and oh. where the emphasis is in their voice like of the reader as they read it and the definition of nosh and how there was a double entendre and like anyway it just made me laugh and laugh because it's so full on but it also made me think yeah you know when you're writing something you do have a a vision of how the rhythm of it works and Mm. sometimes I think well I'm not a very economical writer I like to throw in fancy words but if they if they extend the point or bring it back at the right point you know you can allow yourself a bit more of a loop so you you don't always do that though because like like say the wife drought is pretty straight yeah so there's not so you obviously reach for that tool well it depends on the material and it depends on what effect you're trying to have as well like if you're trying to Mm. have a really brutal impact then um then um economy is really effective but if you're trying to if you're trying to lead someone somewhere and and um, and create something visual about what you want them to understand. Like I remember when I was writing the um, <clears throat> the um, piece on Malcolm Turnbull. Um, you know, there are some bits that I I wanted to really heighten the emotion of the stuff, some of the stuff that happened to him in his childhood, or try and evoke what that guy is like in all the different iterations of his personality, then I definitely used more words to kind of um, right. illustrate that. Well, he, Stephen King talks of, um, you know, the craft of writing as that you have a toolbox and he says, you know, the top shelf of the toolbox <laughs> are vocab and grammar. Yeah. And then, you know, so you've got that and that's super important. And then beyond that, then there are the other, you know, little yeah, bits right. and pieces that levers that people might pull. But it, it was interesting as well just how um, – it did make me think, wow, the art of writing fiction is really yeah. quite different to what we do. Well, because there's – I guess there's sort of fewer rules and, I mean, that's the thing that always intimidates me about writing fiction is to think, well, you're not really constrained by anything. I mean, I, I quite enjoy the tension of knowing the facts or the the thing that you want to report, I guess, mm. for want of a better word, and using creative techniques to report that in a way that it has – the impact do you think is appropriate or, yeah. or, or guides the reader to interpreting that situation in a way that you think is the right interpretation. So like it's subjective, but you're also, you're working with an agreed set of facts. Yeah. Whereas like it just feels, I don't know, thinking about writing fiction to me feels like an agoraphobic stepping out of a house. Like, yeah. 100% agree. I yeah. think you've nailed it. Because I, I think as well, like what I do is observe think and then write yeah um so 
the idea for fiction that um, there's an additional layer, which is invent, which I sort of feel like, wow, how do you access that sort of part of you? Also, I don't really trust my own judgment. So, like, I would just write something and, like, every every time I've attempted to keep a diary, like since I was a kid, I just feel so self-conscious because I'm like, (laughs) that just sounds like the, you know, the work of a jerk. Margaret, Margaret Atwood once wrote that the only way you can keep a useful diary is to imagine that, as you know, one hand is writing it, the other hand is coming along behind it and erasing it. <laughs> oh, that's a very useful technique. I'm yeah. still not going to keep a diary because I'm too lazy. Because she said it's mortifying um, even to imagine your future self reading it, let alone anybody else. Well, exactly. I know. Um, and I'm as embarrassed of me 10 years ago as I'm embarrassed of me at 15. So, like, it's just not getting any better. Um, listen, did you um, see that hilarious controversy online about jo- Jonathan Franzen's no. tips for writers? No. Oh, God. Look, he is so funny and you've you've interviewed him haven't you god yeah rude yeah yeah um but like it's so adorable like he's written this 10 rules for writers and it was on i can't remember what website but some sort of literary website and it's accompanied by this oh my god just hilarious photograph of him perched you know in a library looking just (laughs) incredibly i'm a literary phenomenon it's just it's the the photo alone accompanying the piece will just make you laugh out oh loud. God. It's just it's so. For some reason, I'm visualizing him wearing a fez now. No, but he's sort of like what I can't remember. There's something about like he's got silly glasses on and it, like a cardigan, like he or something like that. I mean, the effect could not be more writerly <laughs> if you actually got someone in to come and Has style he got it. Elbow patches oh, on totally! His jacket. It's all of that. <laughs> it's just like it's just oh my god! It just made my day. But then he's got this rule. I mean, rather pretentious set of 10 insights into being a writer. And I've just, I jotted down a couple of them. I was going to tell you about this at the Melbourne live show, but then you just danced in the crowd and (laughs) wasted time. So I didn't get to it. Um, He starts off with the reader is a friend, not an adversary, not a spectator. Okay, fine. Fiction that isn't an author's personal adventure into the frightening or the unknown isn't worth writing for anything but money. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Never use then as a conjunction. We have and for this purpose. So it kind of like pings around between like, you know. Between the absolute micro. Then when information becomes free and universally accessible, voluminous research for a novel is devalued along with it. Eh? Does that even. But for a writer to actually write that sentence is really bad. Yeah. I like this one too. It's doubtful that anyone with an internet connection at his workplace is writing good fiction. That just enraged me because I just went, oh, oh, okay. Well, how do you arrange picking up your kids from school then, Jonathan? Let me guess. Oh, I bet someone's doing that for you then. Those of us who have to write with an internet connection are generally doing so to be reminded that it's Harmony Day and we forgot the orange T-shirt. And just the inclusion of the male personal You're pronoun very in there. You're blanco now, love. I am very so, blanco. It just, it just shut me to tears because <laughs> I just thought, wow, you have no real conception of how people work in the real world, Mr. Billionaire. Well, and you know what? Donnie. I would suggest that that's the person who writes bad fiction, even though I love the corrections. But yeah. when you are disconnected from the real world to that degree, what, what are you using to get authenticity in your fiction? I know. I just, oh, Anyway, keep God. reading them. They're awesome. Um, interesting <laughs> verbs are seldom very interesting. Like, <laughs> just, just like, 
Oh, anyway, you have to love before you can be relentless. What I'd like to see is have all these put up in like, you know, there's some workplace posters that have like a kitten falling off a branch and it says, hang on, Friday's coming. (laughs) Or like with a gorilla saying, this is the complaints department. What's your complaint? I would love to see these reproduced just on crappy kind of workplace posters that reads like somebody it's has written so some funny. you know chinese proverbs in cantonese and put it into google translate and yeah. got them to produce yeah. it for that but of course on twitter everybody just it was one of twitter's finest hours <laughs> like and somebody at one point observed jonathan franzen has won on twitter because he's dropped this and he's not even on twitter so uh, yeah, that's right. but um there's some guy a writer called Chuck Wendig, who I'm not aware of, but he was, oh, my God, he put his own um, list of <laughs> list of tips like put words after words, make sure most of them are real words, and then <laughs> have you tried coffee and don't be an arsehole. And there's someone called Patton Oswald who did. Oh, yeah, know, he's great. Yeah, he's great comedian. Who did, um, his tips were have a Frankenstein in it. <laughs> Do not talk about book writing. Do not talk about book writing. It should take place on a boat. <laughs> Insert a scene where a guy splits a bullet in half with a sword. <laughs> so good. I just love watching people rip the piss out of pompous people. It's just like, oh, anyway, that's... I'm sure he won't mind because, you know, he's got his billions and his lack of internet connections, so that'll be great. But, oh, my God. Do you know what sometimes amazes me when we do a pod is how a theme emerges with absolutely no. I know. Because I'm going to stun you too because I've got another thing to report that kind of Same. That fits with this theme. <gasps> Get out! Yes! It's just um, so weird because there's – I know. I think sometimes it's like that thing where women who live together menstruate at the same time. <laughs> But like, uh, you know, like I sometimes find that we're right. You're, we're reading similar themes without even knowing it, about it. It it's is so really bizarre. Um, yeah. Okay, so I saw the film version of the Children Act. Oh, um, great! Okay, so oh, this okay. is uh, the reason it fits with what we're McEwen talking about is because Ian McEwan yeah. is, you know, a great writer, one of the great writers, um, now, and one of the spookiest writers ever. I mean, not in the out and out horror sense, but like. Those collections of short stories of his that I think were even banned in the UK for a time. His, his collection of short stories called First Love, Last Rights is one oh, of the. I didn't know he'd done oh any my short stories. God, there's two books of short stories. There's In Between the Sheets oh. and First Love, Last Rights. Oh my God, so spooky. Oh, and there's also okay. The Cement Garden. I don't know if you've read that no. one. It's, it's incest based. So, you know, it's, he's, a, he's a big taboo. Piercer. And one of my favourite books ever, um, which is, um, uh, God, what's it called? Far out. I've panicked, forgotten the name oh, of it. Oh, you love that. Um, I love it and I can't read it again. It's the one, in, no, not Enduring Love. It's, no, it's, it's about it's, children. It's about a yeah. child being. A child in time. A child in, yeah. yeah, the child in time. Yeah. One of the, yeah, just, I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it. It's an extraordinary novel and one day I'll be brave. I've read it about ten times and then when I had children I stopped reading it for a bit. Right. And I will get back to it. It's um, beautiful. So Ian McEwan himself has written the screenplay for yep. the film. So it is. Actually, it was okay. funny actually because when we got to the end of the film I was thinking, yeah, well, that was a pretty good adaptation actually. It hit all the right beats of the novel and then it's a screenplay by Ian McEwan. So <laughs> yeah, right. I'm like, oh, yeah, of course. Um, uh goes without saying Emma Thompson uh oh so just I should actually for people who haven't read it so the children act is basically uh, a woman who's it's set in London she's the equivalent of in Australia you'd be a family court judge um she is really busy and successful at work and her husband basically one day says 
you know what, because she's so preoccupied by work all the time, yeah. I want to have an affair. I'm going to, yeah. and he doesn't even say, you know, what's your thoughts about it? He's like, I am going to have an affair. It's not the end of our marriage. I'm just being completely honest about it. I'm going to have an affair. And she's like, what the hell are you talking about? So her personal life is unraveling a bit. And then she's hearing a case at work, which is <clears throat> a teenage boy who's a Jehovah's Witness has leukemia. He needs a blood transfusion <clears throat> and the parents won't allow yeah. it. The hospital's taking them to court because he's under 18. Um, and the hospital's saying, you know, we want to transfuse him Um involuntarily and so she has to hear the case and make a ruling on it so you've got these two parallel narratives um going along emma thompson uh is the judge fiona um she is like it's just the best she's ever been she's just and she looks so beautiful like she just Mm. the performance is her performances i find are so subtle and she does um pain and uh, you know crying emotion just so movingly um i think she's amazing and stanley tucci plays her husband and he's also just absolutely fantastic like they're sort of into play i can imagine and, her as a as a sort of quasi judicial figure as well like oh, a complicated because she's quite clipped and she's yeah. businesslike and yeah. yeah she's absolutely fantastic so it's worth watching just for them alone my one issue with with it was um, I felt that the boy was miscast. Yeah. Now I don't know if um, I haven't read the book for quite a while, so maybe I'm forgetting. But in my recollection, there's a sort of a of playfulness the book, in their relationship, isn't there? Like she goes in there to talk to him, and yeah. then she ends up. They have a very sort of provoked by some of his exactly yeah. her interaction with him has a deep impact on her and and on him as well. And the boy in the book, from my memory, is quite a charming figure and a very unique sort of person who makes an impact on lots of people around Mm. him. Um, And they have a sort of um, just a sort of – just one of those sort of sliding door relationships where someone comes into your life, they make a deep Mm. impact on you and then, you know, they're out of your life sort of thing. In the film version, it took on a creepy quality – Really? Yeah. Like borderline sort of pedophilia type quality. For me it did. And I felt that the boy to me Not unusual for McEwen to go there, I would say, but um but that that I didn't I got I remember from the book I sort of felt like there was an underlying almost flirtation there, but it wasn't like it was almost just like a nod to the oddness of the situation. Right. And it was sort of I think a bit about this sort of extraordinary maturity of this boy who was dealing with these quite profound issues of mortality. Yeah, it didn't work like that in the film. And he – there was nothing about him that sort of I found particularly winning or charismatic in the way that I had with that character in the book. Yeah, I remember thinking that too. And so that didn't quite – work for me so that was a bit of a that kept jarring on me a lot so I thought it was a good film and as I said it was a good the the script was a good adaptation of the book but he did not quite work for me nevertheless I'm going to go see that on the basis of your recommendation um have you I just noticed the other day or did I dream it I don't know it's there's a film version of On Chesil Beach out too isn't there yeah there is yeah right. I have not seen it but I've seen that it's out but it's- how would you make a movie about that because like I you know Chesil Beach is On Chesil Beach is amazing it's incredibly tense and densely packed emotional thriller really which is about a man and a woman not having sex like that's what it is it's like a short book it's, it's set but o- it's set over probably 
16 hours? Yeah. 18 hours? And it's about a young couple who get married and she is massively, massively apprehensive yeah. about having sex with her new husband and it's basically – them not having sex for a short time and then it's the end of the book. So, like, how do you make that into a film? I, I just don't even – they're not even talking to each other half the time. I just – It's it's the most – one of the most internal books I've ever <laughs> I know, read. Right? I, I have no idea like, either way. It's a bold way. thing to make a movie Yeah, I was going to say, I have no idea why you would read it and think this would make a perfect film. <laughs> Maybe there's lots of product placement in it or something. It'd be worth We should go to see it together and just silently yeah. narrate it. <laughs> Still not having sex. Maybe it will. 20 often... minutes in, nothing's been inserted into anything. <laughs> a film with narration, I reckon, is often the sign of a book that should not have been translated into a yeah, film. You yeah. need a lot of narration. Sometimes it works, but more often than not, I reckon that it's. Uh, sort of... There's got to be some brooding stares. That'd like, get rid of 20, 30 minutes, surely. <laughs> let's, well, let's end this episode here because it's at the half hour. And... It's half an hour. You've got itchy, itchy trigger finger. For... Itchy trigger finger to end the episode. You're, actually, you are wantonly. Ignoring the fact that I've already said that I've got something that's relevant oh, yes. to these okay. things. Yep. Okay. Like, good. Yeah, you're sorry, just are being you quite, a complete quite monster. Right, love, now that quite you've got right. your relevant point out, <laughs> quite... you're ready to just like. <laughs> you're quite right. I apologise. Roll over and smoke a cigarette, <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> you can just look after yourself. Yeah. Um, um, far away. So, just because we've been talking about horror mm-hmm. and also writing, I watched the film of Mary Shelley. Oh, yeah. Another bizarre. I know, right? Yeah, okay. Because – and so I – God, I don't know. Like I think I read a lot and I've read – like I've read in it like not embarrassingly small, you know, chunk of the classics mm. and I've read Frankenstein but yeah. not for years. But I sort of I – I, I knew that they were all connected and Lord Byron and there was some sort of, you know, house party where they all went berserk and everything but I never really connected everything with Mary Shelley because – uh, for instance, and I, I did not know or register that she was Mary Wollstonecraft's daughter. I just, I just sort of didn't register that. And um, so, like, and her mother, Mary Wollstonecraft, who was the feminist writer and campaigner, died in childbirth, giving birth to Mary Shelley. Oh, yeah. And so, um, this film is about Mary Shelley from about the age of fifteen, where she's. Um, she has terrible arguments with her stepmother um, uh, and she's sent off to Scotland and she met, meets the poet Shelley who is this sort of dissolute but charming and brilliant character. She falls in love with him, then discovers that he's already married to somebody else and they elope along with Mary Shelley's half-stepsister and they live in sin and are a massive scandal um and then they go and stay with lord byron and she's obsessed with horror she reads horror books she writes horror short stories and stuff and she eventually after playing around with sort of various um experimentations with style sits down and writes frankenstein a complete masterpiece and she's 17 oh my god book one Book one. Wow. So, um, and then what happens is no one wants to publish it because she's a young girl. This is totally inappropriate material. But what I hadn't really understood about, you know, obviously Frankenstein is about a, um, a, a, a man who gives life to a monster, creates a monster, a person out of spare human parts and – then doesn't know what to do with it or how take how to take care of this creature that he's created and then the creature basically having been abandoned then 
becomes evil. Um, and the whole story is about her sense of abandonment and the death of her mother and the feeling that she has been abandoned in the world, you know, mm. with all these dark thoughts. And anyway, I just – it's a great movie. I really enjoyed it. Who's um, Mary Shelley who plays Mary um, God, I can't even remember. Um, not somebody uh, famous? No, no, there is someone famous, oh. but not someone that I um, kind of have seen before. But I'm aware that she's – I'm Matt, just going to look Matt up. Matt Damon? Her. Leonardo yeah. DiCaprio. Oh, shut up. <laughs> Honestly, I just don't remember things. That's all. I'm just going to look up because she is famous, I think, and she's very beautiful. Um, you know, I just have a trouble remembering very beautiful people. Is that a film that's in the cinema, or is it on? Um, it's it's in the cinema, I think. Oh, okay. Um, Elle Fanning. Oh yeah, Elle okay. Fanning. Right. Okay. Um, she's very good in it. Good. Um, uh, but anyway, loved the movie, but then felt a bit embarrassed that I hadn't looked that I. I was grateful for the, to the movie for filling me in on um, the completely bizarre backstory of it, that great novel. It sounds a bit like um, reading a Churchill book or something where you go – or a um, Mitford's book where you're like, oh, God, oh, they're connected right. to them. I've got to yeah, read something. Right. Yes. You know? <laughs> oh, hello, Hitler. Yeah, um, that sort of thing. Also, um, one, one last point before i got to go. Um, I reckon – just back to your writing style, I don't reckon that like beginner writers should – I think you can only do what you do because you're very accomplished at writing, like artists where you've got to be a good draftsman before you yeah, start right. throwing it out and messing yep. around with the rules. I reckon that you can only write in that sort of awesome way that you do where it's embellished because you can write the other way. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think that um, I every now and again I get asked to go and address young journalists and stuff like that and I always say like the hardest thing – about learning to write or as a journalist it's it's such a cruel um uh job because it's hardest on day one (laughs) like when you don't when it doesn't come naturally to order facts into a structure and that is what the grunt of work of learning how to write a news story is it's just like well out of this this teeming mass of facts that I have at my disposal, how do I structure them into a story that tells you the most important thing first but also is comprehensible and leads the reader through in Mm. a way that doesn't impose on the reader a burden to understand something that you haven't made clear? Mm. So it's hard to do that but it does get easier and after a while it's like driving a car, like you you can sort of look and see exactly how you can write this and structure it. But, like, that is quite a thing to learn before you can then mess around with it and oh, kind yeah, of play definitely. about and do something, like try a, a, an intro that is a funny intro or, like, you know, whatever. You can't really do that until you've yeah, exactly. totally worked out how to do it the straight way. Definitely. And I think um, the thing too for young beginning journalists is – I, I think often the stories that you have to report are harder because you're getting assigned things that maybe are not going to work out to be a story because, you know, the, the senior and the mm. experienced reporters are on big stories. Yeah. So, for example, it's way harder to get sent to the Easter show and told bring back up a story yeah. than it is to cover the Prime Minister being shafted. Oh, exactly, right. <laughs> so, whereas, or yeah. classic example is, you know, when you're a junior reporter sent to sit through a council meeting, like there's a bunch of different things happening how do you know which is the most newsworthy yeah. and how to write that and you know yeah. like that's it's it's actually super tricky and also when you're starting out as a journalist nobody ever returns your calls which really sucks as well yeah and i think it's that it's also that thing of um 
like I know now when I sit down to write something, because I've done it a lot, whether it's an introduction for the top item on 7.30 or whether it's a book, that I that the first thing that comes out is going to be absolute crap. Yeah. And I'm not intimidated by that anymore yeah. because I've done it enough that I know that once the hardest thing is getting something on paper, yeah. once it's on paper, you can fix it yeah. up. And, and the yeah. end product usually looks nothing like what came out first of all, but you have to get something initially yeah. on paper. Whereas when you start and it comes out, you, you know, when you're sort of inexperienced, you think, oh, this is terrible. And But now over time, and even things like often if I get sent on a story, I'll think, you know, I haven't been a field reporter for lots of years, but I used to think, um, what if I can't find a story? Yeah. What if I can't make a story out of this? Whereas now I'm never scared of that because I know that I always can. Yeah. But at the start, you don't know that. So, Because you're a, a brooding genius. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. And I'm going to brood my genius out of here. I know. All right. Okay. Bye. My phone is buzzing. Oh, God. All right. Bye. See ya. Hello again. It's shame the self-promotion time. Stop that, sales. Stop it, really. Uh, now, we do have a few words to communicate about uh, some extra Chat 10 Looks 3 stuff uh, we do and explaining where you can find it on the interwebs. You'll find links to buy all the books we've reviewed in this podcast. And uh, <clears throat> obviously our own books, possibly mine in greater numbers than yours, but that's, that's not a matter for us, is it? Really? We'll have a little fight about that later. You will find our own books as well on our online bookstore, which you can access via our website, chat10looks3.com. Um, there are also podcast notes on everything we've talked about in every episode links that will take you to whatever you like just in case you're ever caught without a pencil at that (laughs) crucial moment where we talk about something that sounds interesting to you uh now also while you're there on the chat 10 website you can uh, sign up to our somewhat sporadic and uh charmingly shambolic newsletter or uh, you can help identify yourself to other chatters by purchasing a fairy wren pin or other merchandise gwen has completely lost her mind so there is a new merchandise item there every 20 seconds i'm <laughs> yeah. a bit hard just bit keep, keep scared to open my mouth in case she just like puts it on a t-shirt if you go to the website just keep refreshing it because yeah. gwen will have a new product line every time you refresh it if social z-bag make sure that you see all our event news and other announcements by liking our Facebook page. Yes, the Facebook page is an easier place to find things and not miss them than the Facebook group when you're just going to get lost in e- tales of exactly. so, remotely delivered cabbage leaves. So like the Facebook page or follow us on Instagram, a medium at which Ms. Crab has become alarmingly adept. Well, thank or, you very much. Or you can follow us on Twitter. All right. Is that all? Now, when are we getting our own blimp? Oh, God, would you stop raising the blimp? <laughs> it will come. Goodbye. Bye.